Welcome to Talk of the Devs, a new weekly podcast giving you insights into how to forge a career in software development. I'm your host, Ed Southgate, currently working as a full-stack dev for a creative agency in Essex. Today I'm speaking with George, a former colleague and friend, about his journey to becoming a lead developer in the financial services industry. We look at the differences and similarities of our two journeys, what it means to spend years with the same company and transition from trainee to employee, and exactly how George feels about life as a dev. For anyone beginning their career in software development, I hope you'll find something useful in the following chat. Join in our conversation online at Talk of the Devs on Instagram, and please feel free to send in your questions for future episodes. As always, any ratings and reviews you can give us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts would be gratefully received. And now, without further ado, here's George. Hi, George. Welcome to the podcast. Hello. So I thought it might be interesting to get started with to have a little talk about like how you got into development. Yep. Um, was it like a career path that you'd, you always wanted to go down or like what, what led you to it? Um, so I've always had a knack for computers. That's the thing. I, when, I was, when I was in uh, school... I had the option of going down the computing path, which I'd always loved computers, but I also had the option of going down the history path and I was really undecided as to what to do. Um, So I was getting pretty okay grades in both of them. And I was like, what am I going to pick for university? Am I going to pick history or computer science? Um, And I just, in the end, I just came to the conclusion that I've always loved computers. I'm just going to go forward with the computer route even though I hadn't really done any sort of coding whatsoever. And this is this is 2014 at this point. So I'm I'm like 18, obviously, when you're going off to uni. So um, essentially, I was just completely clueless as to how to code or do anything. I just kind of was going in. I was hoping that university was going to teach me because at that time, they didn't teach any kind of coding in like uh, basic school or GCSE or even A-level I did. I did A-level ICT, which was basically a course on how to screenshot things and put them into a Word document. <laughs> so, right. So, yeah, I remember IT at school, like early, early days. I think I remember using like early Apple computers. Yeah. And basically the what I learned at school was how to save something to a floppy disk. Yeah. And that was about it. That was pretty much... ICT in a nutshell for the whole curriculum. I think it's changed massively since then. Like most most kids are learning um, at least some basic level of coding, even as early as I think like year seven now. So I think it's gotten a lot better since our days of school. But yeah, essentially 2013, 20, 2012 A-level ICT, you're just screenshotting things and pasting it into a Word document and explaining what what things are that's all i remember from ict so to go from that to to learning full-on coding in university was quite a bit of a shock essentially um yeah i'm sure interesting to me that you 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 obviously enjoyed computers but was it more that you enjoyed it at home than you, you enjoyed it at school yeah so so my parents hated me i would always be the one like editing with like wi-fi routers and things like that and I'd, I'd go onto their Wi-Fi router and start playing around with all the settings and making sure that it's all correct. I'd I'd install um, Ubuntu as like a secondary operating system on their main computer, and they hated me for that. They absolutely hated me. But 
at the same time, it was good to, be, to actually be able to do that because you kind of learn the basics of computing and operating systems and things like that, which obviously come into play at a later point in your life, um, especially when I was doing university and I did a module called operating systems. And I was thinking, oh, yeah, this is I can actually pick something up at least, <laughs> even though I haven't learned any coding. I can kind of understand um, all of that side of things already like going into like the terminal and being able to do any kind of commands um yeah yeah because I, I come from a like i'm sure like you know this because we worked together previously but i don't i don't come from like a computer science background i come from a um taught myself to code kind of background um yeah. so it was a very different journey like i i was always interested in technology but i wasn't I wasn't as installing Ubuntu on my parents' computer or anything like that. <laughs> no. Yeah, I was a bit of a yeah, a bit of a psycho in terms of just wanting to experiment essentially with computing. I, I, I ended up buying like a little netbook just so I could play around with it essentially as like my test bed. So I had that I was installing all sorts of things on that. Like I was trying to um get a hackintosh together, just working on a netbook. Like you Apple computers at that point didn't didn't run on anything to do with the intel atom processor architecture for instance but i was trying to make it happen <laughs> because i was just that type of person i was going on the forums and being like why is it not working the, you know the, the wi-fi should be working the, in the intel chip is exactly the same but it's not working why is it not and I, I would be that person i might have been someone that you'd have seen on a forum or something back in those days <laughs> just just my 14 15 year old self just trying to yeah figure out the computer life cycle <laughs> i mean that does sound like good preparation for kind of development life a lot of uh reading documentation and yeah it's it is it is it is but the thing is it's the it's like you kind of forget when, when you're at university it's like it was a whole new bread and butter going into coding that was that was the trickiest part for me i think in university just actually getting my head around the software life life cycle essentially and how how to actually build software so i think i mean i've been thinking about this since you asked me to come on the podcast i've been thinking like university was good if you were in that kind of situation but also i think i could have learned some of the stuff at least from not going to university and um learning it on my own uh in my own time it's just that university right. kind of forced you to do it that was that was the the difference essentially. So I, I think gone. I was just going to ask if it was like Java and stuff that they chucked you in. At. Yep, right. that's what it was. It was Java. So Aston University, which is where I went, it was a Java university basically. So they they started off in the first two years trying to heavily get Java into your brain. So they start off with a basic like how to build a class in Java and how to. Um, start up an application and 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 then they just kind of start building upon that knowledge um, almost building you up to building your first application essentially so um, they'd give you dummy code for instance and how how to fix that dummy code or how to add on to that dummy code um, all in all based in java and honestly the first two years of uni were the hardest for certain right definitely trying to get all that in your brain essentially was just yeah really tough <laughs> but you kind of it's one of those things where you you'd learn it for two years and you're thinking you don't i just don't get it like it doesn't make sense and then 
like it just makes sense after that and after that you just remember it all <laughs> that's how i kind of remember uni i was just i was just kind of like wandering through the first two years like none of this makes any sort of sense <laughs> um and then it just yeah it just kind of clicked that that so, is the interesting yeah. thing that i've like i've obviously i didn't go to uni but i've found that um one of the kind of key things i've had to learn is that like you say you you'll come across a concept or something like um i don't know recursiveness in functional programming yeah and you're like you just won't have a clue what's going on but yeah. if you just keep on going at eventually i don't know your brain just kind of gives in and you suddenly <laughs> yeah it, it's exactly how i feel as well how how coding works and ever since moving on to c sharp um it's like it's like i took all the things that i kind of understood in java and but didn't really and then realized that most of it just easily applied to c sharp and then i was like oh wait i now know c sharp so i can just develop in it and that kind of that's that was the key kick clicking point i think when i decided to just move over to c sharp now in university in the in the third year which is your final year i had to pick essentially basically all my model modules and i at that time i was thinking i hate java i'm not going to do anything with java so i picked <laughs> all the modules that weren't java specific so i picked game development i picked mobile development game development was building a game in c sharp unity um, mobile development was building it was building an android app in java but it was more using android studio so it was kind of a bit of a different twist at before that we were using like eclipse in java and just trying to build apps essentially um uh, desktop apps okay um but yeah so i think i think moving over to c sharp was a really good move because i think i'm i think my brain just handles c sharp better i don't know what it is right. e even though it's so similar to java it just kind of all clicked after that in my final year are you are there any like obvious differences between the two i mean also bearing in mind that we're trying to maybe explain the differences to people who might not be familiar with back end yeah so the main thing that i remember from java being different is exception handling okay so in c sharp exception handling is almost all handled for you um so you you'll write some code you can write try catch blocks if you want but usually it's going to be handled for you automatically by the compiler. Whereas in Java, you kind of have to write try-catch blocks against everything because nothing is handled by the compiler in that regard. Um, so it's that was one of the key differences that I actually preferred because it essentially meant less work for me. I just had to kind of write um, what I what I wanted to and how um, how it connected together in terms of logic. And suddenly it was all working rather than having to think, Oh, what happens if this scenario fails? If that scenario fails? If the, you know that's that's essentially what exception handling meant in Java. You had to think of all the all the cases that failed because it has got an IDE kind of like Visual Studio or like IntelliJ is the one I've. Yeah, so that's that's what I meant with when I said Eclipse. So I, oh, Eclipse okay. is like an IDE um, for for Java programming. Um, it also works with other languages as well, but I think it's just mostly used for Java. And it, did that give you less kind of, like, did it have a good debugger so that you could figure out what all these different cases were, or was it? Yeah, it's it honestly almost felt like an old-fashioned version of Visual Studio. Oh, okay. 
I don't know what it's like today because I haven't used Eclipse since 2017, which is when I gave up on it <laughs> at uni. But um, yeah, I I think even at that time, I would be using Visual Studio and thinking, hold on, it's like suggesting more things. I was I was quite a basic developer back then, and it was helping me out more, the Visual Studio compiler, than Eclipse was. Eclipse was kind of like throwing me in and not telling me anything, right. um, giving me any messages back, whereas Visual Studio was like, oh, hold on, there's an error here, and this could be how to fix it. And I, I much preferred that system, to be honest. Um, it helped my brain as well. <laughs> yeah, it is, very, it is very useful using like Visual Studio, like especially coming from JavaScript, which like the audience might be aware is is not as strictly typed as something like C sharp and I'm presuming Java, although I haven't used it. What does um, that mean, Ed? What does strictly typed mean? Strictly typed. Um that's a really good question. So basically in JavaScript everything is an object. So mm-hmm. it doesn't if you have a number like obviously one, two, three, four, five and you want to add them together, if you accidentally pass in a string, you'll get like one, it'll concatenate the number to the string, and lots of you can get lots of really funky behavior. Yeah. Um, so in a st- statically typed language like C Sharp, you have to declare that you what, whatever variable it is that you're using is going to be of a particular type. So like an, mm. an int or a float or a, yeah, um, that's a pretty good explanation. Yeah. Int and int and float are different types of number, but I, I guess we don't have to get into the weeds yeah. too much. <laughs> about it. Obviously you did your computer science degree and you did a lot of game development. It sounds like in the, like the second year. Yeah. No, uh, third year. Third, so, right. so the first two years essentially was more like building on something that the like the lecturer had built. So they'd give us a bit of code, and they'd 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 make it harder and harder. But essentially, they'd say, "Right, you need to build on top of this, or you need to find all the bugs and fix them." That okay. that was the first two years. That was all it was. We didn't really do any development properly on our own at that point. But in but in the final year. The whole basically the tables had turned and it was like here's a brief build it but oh, cool. that's that's what it was in the final year so we had a bit more creative freedom essentially in in the final year so i'll give you the example of game development um i did a c-sharp game essentially the brief for game development was literally go build a game i don't care what it is you can build any game so long as it okay. has certain principles in it like a scoring system and uh, I think it needed to have a main menu as well. So, and saving progression, that was it. So scoring system, saving progression and a main menu system. As long as I had okay. that, build any game you like. So I built um, a, like a go-kart system where I essentially put a character in <laughs> and it, I called it lecture kart and I just copied and pasted a load of like uh, Mario Kart sound files and things like that and just put it in the game and we just raced oh, around cool. the little world that I'd built. <laughs> so, so that, yeah, so that was pretty cool. And you'd, you were able to save your time that you were able to um, record in the game. So, yeah, uh, I liked that. I liked that little brief because I liked the creative freedom. You could basically do anything. Like someone else built, someone else I knew built like a, like a Zelda game, essentially. Um, but uh, you'd be able to save your score on how many 
little uh, trinkets you picked up or something. Oh, cool. Um, so that's quite quite a different type of game, but it was still ticking all the boxes that the brief gave. So, oh, cool. yeah, it was really nifty. I, I did like that. And that was all built in C-sharp Unity. And I like the creative freedom of that. So that was the third year. Yeah. And then, so was that the equivalent of like your like dissertation or whatever? I mean, obviously I haven't done. No, oh, okay. amazingly not. Um, that was just a module. Uh, a, the dissertation was a bit more complicated. I did, I did also build a game as my dissertation. Um, it was a mobile cross VR game um, in the end. And that was also built within Unity. Um, but the reason why that was more intricate was that um, it had uh, I, it had to have the added element of something that was going to come out in the future that wasn't out yet. So um, at the time, that's why it had a the game that I built was it was, <laughs> it was essentially where you were like a cow and you had to like stop trains because i i just got the idea one day because i was going on a train from norwich to birmingham and i got stopped and the, the guy on the town i says oh there's a cow on the line so we've got to stop the whole train for like an hour while the cow gets on the all train. right so i got the idea there and i was like right imagine if you're the cow <laughs> and you kind of have to stand on the track and try and block the trains and the more trains you, you block the more oh, points okay. you get essentially and i was thinking so that was kind of like the, the thought process behind it and the VR aspect made it more like a horror game. So you were the cow in the VR looking at a train <laughs> coming towards you. And it was, yeah, it was a bit terrifying, um, but it did work. That was the main thing. And the the whole brief was that you needed to incorporate a technology that was coming out soon. And my I, I incorporated two. One was VR, which wasn't really out in 2017. It was only just emerging at that time. And I also brought out a system whereby you could essentially uh, cross-platform your high scores. So if you if you started a, a game on mobile, it was very easy to link up to VR. You just had to type in a code rather than um, rather than at that time there was almost no sort of cross-platform integration between other um, between mobile games and high-tech games at that time. Um, so, so there was like, for instance, it was only just coming out, but there was, th- there was systems whereby you could play on PS4, for instance, and PC and link your accounts right. together, but there was never anything like where you'd have a mobile game. You were just sitting on your, on a mobile game, like, uh, going to work or something on a train and then getting to your main computer and just going on the VR system and all your right. scores have linked up. Like there wasn't that kind of system didn't really exist. It it does kind of now, um, but still not super common there. No, it's still not super common. And I I built that game in 2017, which yeah, is pretty cool. nifty. So yeah, yeah cool. I got got pretty good marks on that. But that was a good dissertation. I like that. But as you can see, Uni is basically his his uh, a spec. You have to go build it, and I think that's what um, that it kind of forces you to mm. do it. So if you're a type of person who can easily go online and just follow instructions and start building stuff, then getting into coding is easy enough that way. But I definitely was the type of person who wouldn't have done that because I like, I would have got distracted by other things, by other live leaders. Um, And I think uni kind of forces you into it more, which is what I, that's the conclusion I come to to uni. Yeah. I, I always, Every so often, I toy with the idea of doing like an open university thing, 
But thinking about, like, it, it sounds like the first year or two of just having to debug someone's code doesn't sound that fun. Yeah. So, <laughs> I don't, no. I don't know. No, it's definitely... I don't know how it is now because, as I said, it's. It, I think it must be different now because people start in this country at more of a coding level than what I did. Like I was going into Unicourse with no experience whatsoever of coding, whereas people nowadays should be going into university with some kind of background experience, at least at GCSE or or below a uh, like. Uh, like schooling, like year nine, year eight, year seven, they they should be, have some kind of basic level of coding because I think they do it now at right. schools. Um, so I think, I don't think it would be like that today, but I, you can't quote me on that because I don't know, I haven't been through the system. So, right. Um, but I would imagine they start you off more where I, where, where I was at year three, I imagine. Um, perhaps going over some basic principles, but then giving you a spec and building stuff. Um, it's probably like honestly, that is the best way to learn coding. You just got to have to actually have the mindset to go and do something. Like you need to get get a spec or have, create your own spec and think of something that you want to build and just go and do it. Like that, that's like the biggest mindset thing about coding. You have to just go and do it, and that is one of the hardest things to get over. I think. Yeah, I do find I'm the sort of person who goes like I like video tutorials, so I do a lot of like. Mm-hmm. Um, I've used things like front-end masters to to learn and, I mean, more recently, and in the past, Team Treehouse. But it's a different thing doing the video tutorial. Like they're, they're useful to kind of get an idea of a technology or something. But it's always when, oh, I actually need to build something for work. Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. when I like you properly learn how these things work. Something I st- slightly struggle with, like if I'm trying to learn something in my spare time, is having the motivation to like choose a project and just get it done like you're saying yeah exactly it's the hardest thing in coding yeah getting forcing yourself to actually just go and do what you want to do yeah i struggle with it i like i have loads of personal projects that i can think of i i think of ideas that i want to build and then it just like i write the idea down and it just sits there forever because i just don't get around to it like at the minute it's mostly because i'm just working which which is taking up a lot of time and then if i was to go and build something it would be on like a weekend or something which i'm off doing other things yeah (laughs) so it's just no time really to do it but this you know the ideas are there and that is like if i had the mentality of right i'm just going to finish everything i think I'd, i'd have built a lot more by now because I have the ideas there. It's just actually going and doing it. Indeed. So we've kind of, yeah. we've talked about um, your education up to the end of uni, I guess. What was, mm-hmm. what was next for you? Like after, after uni? Um, a nice summer of not doing anything, uh, just relaxing <laughs> before getting a job. Um, and then I applied at a company and uh, they just gave me the job. And I've stayed there ever since. <laughs> so, yeah, I haven't really got much else to say about that. Um, mm-hmm. I kind of the interview process was pretty funky. I kind of just walked into um, a like a meeting room with uh, one of the mobile dev leads. Even though I wasn't going to be a part of the mobile dev team, and he said, "Oh, sorry, the usual person isn't <laughs> isn't here today." So you got me. So I was like, "Okay, fair enough." Um, and we just talked through uh he 
most with most coding jobs you get a coding uh, ex- like quiz before going to an interview or something so there was a there was like a little coding test that they got they got me to do um which i wrote down a solution as to how i'd solve all the problems in the coding um essentially they gave me like a dummy project and they asked me to fix a load of it but yeah I kind of just wrote down exactly what I would do to fix it and didn't actually fix it because I felt like that was almost redundant in that, in the actual test they were almost like the main thing that they were testing was what would you do rather than do it and, and show me, show me it working. So I actually wrote down exactly what I'd do and explain why. Right. And I think that actually got me more marks than I than would have than I would have just actually just completing the coding exam. Because, ah, interesting. Yeah, because fixing a fixing a solution could be as simple as I don't know. I think one of the actual solutions was restoring the nugget packages right. in the solution. But me writing down my approach and saying the first step I would take would be to look for the nugget package and update the nugget package. I think that actually got me more marks <laughs> in it. But I don't know. We'll have to have to see what they say <laughs> if they ever see this. Um, so yeah, I just kind of in the in the interview, I just explained um, exactly what I'd done on that coding exam. Um, I just explained pretty much what I've just explained on this podcast in terms of uni. Um, I showed them a working copy of Cow on the Line because <laughs> cool. it was on my phone at the time, um, and then I didn't hear back for about five weeks. <laughs> so so i was just sitting at home like mm, well did it actually go well i don't know i mean they said it went well but you never know with interviews um and then i just got a phone call saying that yeah i got the job and that i'll be starting in i think about a week's time from that from that phone call which is kind of lucky because at the time i think they were going through like a hiring freeze as well so yeah i must have stood out <laughs> Yeah. Um, and how did you find? So you'd been obviously studying for for ages. How did you find that like transition to to working life? Um, I think it could have gone a lot tougher than it did, and the main reason was the people that were in the team really helped me out. Um, so I I was paired up with a buddy, Colin. <laughs> um, oh yeah. And I, I think I remember Colin. Yeah, Colin really helped me out in terms of uh getting up to speed with how the company operates um the sprint cycles because obviously i'd never been involved in a sprint cycle before so Mm. that was a completely new concept it wasn't it wasn't completely new i had learned it at uni i learned what what kind of like of what scrum would be a scrum like what a typical scrum call would be and you're you're probably going to ask me to describe what scrum is now (laughs) it's essentially (laughs) just uh splitting tasks down that's how i like to think of it (laughs) into manageable tasks manageable two weekly um tasks that you can complete within a two-week cycle um yeah it's all the agile ceremony stuff isn't it yeah yeah retrospectives and uh that's probably a whole separate podcast like talking talking about that stuff i was gonna say yeah probably so so there's that all to get used to which i think colin really helped me get used to at least um and then just picking up tasks and getting on with them and starting with small tasks small tasks that um were pretty much one or two pointers which would mean i don't know about a day's work at maximum um yeah and seeing how long i'd take on them <laughs> trying to judge my ability probably is what everyone was doing at, at the time in the team um, making sure that 
I was actually up to scratch in terms of coding and stuff. I found that that trend because obviously I had done a little bit of coding previously at the same company because we were in the same. This is like I was on the team, I think. Yeah. Um, and that was like my first proper coding job, and I found the like you're saying, getting used to those, getting used to the Scrum thing, and also the estimating stories in points. Yeah. I found that really weird and like there was a right answer that I should give. Um, yeah. I found that all a bit stressful to begin with. I, I'll tell you what I find, I still find odd. And f- thinking back to it, I don't really find it odd now, but what I found odd at the start was like when, when we got tickets into that estimating session, at least because I was new, I hadn't seen the tickets before, but even as time got wore on, I, the point at which we estimate the ticket and then play it is almost as if the ticket's already been decided, unless it was a technical task. Like a, a BA had yeah. basically created the ticket for us and brought it into our estimating session and, and has said, here's a ticket, estimate, and and basically do after estimation. Now, from, coming from uni, where... I think the uni style was more geared towards either a small software company or creating a software company for yourself. That kind of not in, not even being involved in the, the level of work before it comes to the estimating session was quite a shock to me. I was expecting to like look at our code base and say, oh, that's that's like a bad feature and I think we should be fixing that feature. Um and I will yeah. create the ticket and bring it to the estimated session. But that just wasn't, at least before I before I've started more becoming yeah. uh, responsible for things like I am now in in my lead dev role. That just was non-existent. Yeah, I, I we weren't doing that. We weren't going into our the code base and thinking. Um, I, I'm not talking about like what is bad in a technical way because we kind of were. We we we'd look at our t- technical code base and be like, actually, we want to fix like tech debt but I'm actually talking about going on the application that we run and saying that doesn't work. I want to fix that like on the screen, if that makes sense. So for instance, for instance, if we have like a button, which is, which just says some random text and I don't agree with it. I was fully expecting to go, right. I don't agree with that. I'm going to, like bring that up to someone and actually get that into an estimating session and fix it. Uh-huh. But that's just not what happens really. Not at all. Like that's all owned by someone and it's their responsibility to fix it for themselves. Like I could suggest it, but it's not my role to then decide, Oh yeah, that needs fixing. Right. I don't know if that's like a, that might be a, like a big company thing. Yeah. Cause... That's exactly what I'm saying. Yeah, I think there's probably a there's probably a sweet spot because I obviously you've done the work in the financial sector alongside you where everything's quite slow moving and there's you've got a product owner like you say who's very much in control of what's going on and gives you the specifications. And I've worked for smaller companies where the client hasn't really given you any specifications at all and you just kind of build what you think. Um I think there probably is a sweet spot, but we should also probably explain um, maybe a little bit more about what we're talking about with the estimation. So, like 
in it's part of um the agile thing like we were saying but it's you estimate units of work and the, you don't estimate them in amount of time they're going to take exactly it's like slightly more indirect than that you estimate the number of points so that you say the team can get x number of points done in two weeks or whatever your time frame is and then you're trying to estimate a piece of work how many of those points roughly it's going to be yeah i think i think the reason why they that's kind of like an agile principle is because a it means the development team don't get stuck on a time time limit like a point can mean a time range essentially roughly a time range but it's not for definite and it can mean that certain tasks can overlap the time estimate and certain tasks can take a lot quicker than the time estimate which is the the point total and that that's okay and i think b from like a more business side of things it means that a point can cost money and it's more of like an exact representation of how much money it's going to take to build that software rather than oh, we don't know how long it's going to take. And if we bill people in hours, it might take a certain amount of time, which will be a certain amount of money, or it might take another certain amount of time. And it'll, it'll be a completely different side of money. Whereas if it's, you know, if it's 100 points, we're going to bill 100 points and that's it. It doesn't matter about time at that point. It's right. just going to be 100 points. So I think I think that's the reason why it's done in the Agile way. Like they'll 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 always try and convince you it's the first one where oh it, we don't time estimate basically because, yeah. and that's the reason why it's done for agile way but I think from a business perspective it makes more sense to do it in points as well yeah. rather than time yeah and what a point is is kind of an emergent thing from the how the team's interacting and like yeah exactly yeah yeah it's a, it's an interesting one and again probably a whole separate podcast. <laughs> So how did you, uh, you, you started obviously as like a, I, I presume a junior dev. I actually started as a, um, just a normal software dev. It, it wasn't okay. in this cause they do graduate roles as well in the company that I worked for. And I, it wasn't a graduate role. It was a, it was a normal right. software developer role. Um, oh, cool. So that's where I started. <laughs> and, um, yeah, you mentioned earlier that you've, you've now made lead developer. So how did that happen and what's different about your role now than when you started um so recently what's happened is i'm not like a full lead developer although i am i am a lead developer it's a bit weird i'm in a situation where mm. i've taken on the lead role but only temporarily because my my actual lead developer has gone off for paternity leave which at my company is six months so they've they've needed to fill the role oh wow and i am yeah i remember the paternity being very good exactly yeah so i'm i am a bit a, essentially a stand-in lead developer but that has meant that i've i've needed like all the access levels and to get up to speed on all the work that we're doing and things like that so you wanted to know what the main difference was between the two roles so the way i like to think of it is that as a software developer you're kind of like a grunt right and that sounds like a bad thing but you're but it actually works both ways in a favorable way so the at least in my company the work is divided up you're given a task and you're expected to complete it and that is your role mm -hmm. like simple as it is that is your role and that that sounds like a negative but actually it's 
it's a nice feeling to know that everything's almost been decided for you and you've just got to get on with your task. Yeah, yeah. So it's all like distributed. You have this task, you have to go do it. That's that's all that is. That's the software engineer, essentially. Um, now, the lead role is essentially why the software developer gets such an easy task because the lead role is deciding all of the other jargon mm -hmm. um, beforehand. So uh, I've been going into a lot more meetings ever since, right, yeah. <laughs> ever since becoming lead. I'm going into meetings about work that's coming up in a month, work that's coming up in three months, mm -hmm. like how we can split all the work down, like, like 150 points work of work down into uh, specific tasks that we can um, then distribute to all of our developers. And that's, that's kind of like the step up essentially. So I've been the main, one of the main differences that I've found is that I'm talking to people in the company that I didn't really ever talk to before right. leads in other teams. I'm talking to, um, solution architects that are deciding the whole platform and how it all kind of works together. I'm talking to all those types of people. Whereas before I was really only talking to my team and I was just picking up the work that's come into the board. So I think that's the main difference. I'm now, I've I've now essentially got a voice in all the decisions that are coming down to the team, and then the software developer is then picking up those tasks and just doing them. Right. So that's the main difference, at least in our company. It's I think this is company specific because usually I think, especially in smaller companies, the software developer would be picking up more of the tasks that I'm currently picking up and the lead developer would be thinking more as a, as a software architect would, which is how the whole platform as a whole works together. Yeah. And I, th I think that's more how it works in smaller companies. Yeah. As I've got more senior, I'm, um, and again, this is smaller company stuff because I think you've got like a whole separate DevOps team. That's it. But, exactly it. So we, yeah. I'm not. Re I'm st even as a lead. I'm still not fully like controlling everything. I am. We are starting to. Uh, the way that we've now we're now working means that we can do uh, like cloud releases, and I have all the access to do cloud releases, and I'm working through. I'm creating pipelines to to work with all the cloud releases as well. Right. Um, but yeah, we do have a DevOps team that will do the whole platform as an arch as a sort of solution, essentially. Yeah. Um, which is yeah, that's a whole another kettle of fish, basically. As 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 terms of jobs roles go, like I'm not doing that kind of thing, basically, as part as part of my job. Yeah, I, I I quite like dabbling with it, but it's one of those things I probably should actually learn how to do it properly. In my in the roles I've had since leaving, one of the biggest shocks, I worked for a, a small startup and I was like re literally releasing directly to prod. Yeah. <laughs> like, That's not good. Doesn't half, make you, doesn't half make you sweat when you're doing that. Yeah. But um, so yeah, the company I'm with now, it's uh, yeah, very different. Um, have you tried any other backend languages or have you been a C -sharp, sharp guy since? Um, oh, okay, so I've done a few different mini projects. So I have dabbled with mobile development. Yeah, I, I think I'm quite competent in the world of, uh, for instance, uh, Swift with iOS development. I've done a, a little bit of... Um, it's more like... I haven't really had a full project and released anything, but it's more like for my own benefit to test out other languages. I've 
created like dummy projects and things and and followed guides as to how to work with the mobile development side of life the software life cycle basically because i just like mobile development i always have and i feel like right i really enjoy especially at uni i really enjoyed creating a we created like a travel planner app for android and that was that was really fun like i just liked being able to do that so i have I have looked into Swift development because obviously I have an iPhone, so it makes more sense to work on that rather than Java. Um, and I've also done some like web development as well in my own time. So I've I've obviously released my own website, um, which is just in WordPress at the minute, which kind of sucks. But right. I have gone I've I've gone through the process of creating certain pages that are not in WordPress and have more of like a PHP background. So I've done a bit of PHP work as well um, on my own stuff. But I haven't really done much else other than C sharp. I I feel really competent in in C sharp at this point and it's probably the language that I enjoy most even after working from other languages like in my own time i just enjoy c sharp the most which is why that's kind of where i've just you know developed in <laughs> yeah i'm kind of coming like i i did a little bit of c sharp um like oddly enough we we were doing some um bdd back in the day with um specflow and stuff i've just literally started using it at the new company so it's kind oh, of right, like yeah. refreshing my memory from I don't know how many years ago now. So basically, I'm I'm trying to make a move to kind of more back end stuff. The thing I'm trying to learn, like I've got a little project going um, in my spare time. I need to figure out how to do authentication, basically. And people have pointed me in the direction of I don't know if you used Entity Framework. Yeah, I've dabbled or... in it, but yeah, right. I can never tell whether these things are going to be overkill because, like, I was looking into um identity server and then i saw a video on youtube of someone saying that's just overkill for a little like user authentication thing so yeah are there any frameworks or anything that you might point me in the direction of if i wanted to figure out how to do it um you could you could always just build it yourself right that's that's that would be the key lesson essentially so you could for instance um like if you wanted to encrypt passwords, for instance, if that's mm-hmm. if that's what you're going with, C Sharp has loads of inbuilt encryption services already that you can just use, um, and you can do it in a way that you'll have like a central key if that's what you want to, if that's how you want to decrypt, um, which you could store on like a private place in a private place wherever you want to store it really, um, or you could do it any other handful of ways which i can't really think of off the top of my head but i'm sure there's a way to do it um that would probably be i would probably argue that that's that would be the best learning path if it's just for something that you're learning yeah through um it might be best just to build it yeah i think that probably is good advice because when i've learned how to do things in like obviously javascript's what i'm most familiar with it's usually quite a good idea to try and build these things yourself and then, mm-hmm. and then you know what the frameworks and things That's are it. actually yeah. doing. So frameworks probably just going to overly simplify that kind of um, mechanism where you're just building essentially a login process yourself. Mm. Um, so there are definitely guides out there on how to do it. I, 
it's hard to just give <laughs> give everyone give give like immediate C sharp. <laughs> yeah. Here, I'm gonna spew the language to you. <laughs> yeah, especially um, when but, it's via audio only. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But um, yeah, I as part of our um, university work, we we did a back end PHP login system which we need i mean this was a this was without encryption this was just storing it locally which was horrific and you'd you'd like never do that in terms of any sort of best practice but the whole point is why we did the module was to show you how it would work how it how someone would be able to build that what kind of security flaws you're going to introduce if you do it that way like it's it makes you it gets you thinking basically um and yeah it's one of the key key ways to learn is to just do it yourself and then once it's there you can always upgrade the security or upgrade to a different um mechanism of way of doing it so yeah you can yeah it doesn't yeah it doesn't like shut the door if you if you start it yourself and think oh wait no it's too complicated like you'll have some of the base stuff already there and then you can just hook into your library or something um for the rest of it cool yeah you've convinced me i'm gonna i'm gonna have a go at writing it myself yeah i think that's best and are you like we we've obviously talked about your own personal like career journey what do you think employers are kind of looking for in in a new developer i'm trying to think of how people who are listening to this might be trying to get their first developer job or like how might they get ready for that yeah see now i i must admit when when i went for the interview for the company i'm working for the, the one of the things that I really liked about it was that I was talking to a technical person. Like obviously some interviews, which I've had while I was at uni, because I went on a placement, I did have some interviews at uni and, and they were like, I was essentially talking to HR, which didn't, in my opinion, didn't really work. They were looking right. for, they, they had a list of like, I don't know, coding perfect answers. And they were looking exactly for the answers that were on the list. And I personally wouldn't do it that way. I think that's a night, like that just doesn't test anything. That's That tests your ability to Google best practices for a software engineer in an interview and allows, and then, you know, relays that back to the person. I think what I would personally look for in a person, if I was conducting the interview would be, competency in a coding language so yes there would be coding questions but competency doesn't mean knowing everything it it means knowing the basics and how you'd be able to fix certain problems so i'd i'd perhaps um present a problem that i had in in the coding language of c sharp for instance and i'd ask how how the person would fix that or what what kind of technique would they use to 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 refactor a problem or something like that and see see exactly what what's ticking in their brain because i think that's one of the key things it's how how they're operating um in their heads as to how to fix the problem rather than yeah. uh just going at a problem and fixing it in a way that makes no sense or is going to make it worse in <laughs> so so i think that's what i'd look for i'd look for coding competency rather than exact answers mm. because i don't think coding's as simple as that i don't think there is an exact way to do pretty much anything in coding yes there's principles but that doesn't necessarily mean always follow it at all costs so yeah i'd be interested to see yeah how they'd fix a problem basically um and 
I think also, I mean, you've brought on, you brought on to the point of estimating. I think seeing, perhaps presenting them with quite a large, complex task and asking how they'd split the problem down. I think that's another question that would be really handy to know in an interview and to see how that person would react to a massive, like almost scary problem and seeing, hold on, if we, if we split this out, if we split, split that out, then it will become simpler. Like that's really good. In my opinion, that's really good competency in terms of being a software developer, because you, you're always looking to split the problem down. If a problem can be split down, it needs to be split down, essentially. That's that's how I operate as a software developer. Um, so, yeah, it also means that tasks become more manageable and your boss will be happy. <laughs> so I highly suggest thinking, how can this be split down? Um, could another, another developer do something at the same time as what I'm doing? Because then you, you'd be cross-sharing your coding knowledge you'd be getting something done quicker as well um, for the company which would save the company time um so yeah i think those two questions on how do you go about solving it and how would you split this problem down they're they're two really key things that i'd ask in a in a coding question uh, in a coding interview well they're also good things to like bear in mind if you're about to go into an interview i guess as well like yeah definitely um, I mean, you never know though, because you might be stuck with some person from HR with a tick box with loads of loads of C sharp questions, and uh, <laughs> yeah. like uh, you just never know with coding interviews. Yeah, I've had kind of two types of interviews. I've had the ones where they give you a coding challenge, and it's on a web page, so you don't have any like IntelliSense or anything like that, and they make you try and code something, and then yeah, they want some very specific answer from you, and then I've had. Other interviews that which I think were better, where it was like they ask you questions in a way that you can't answer them really unless you know something about it. Yeah, and I've always found those kinds of conversations more useful. But also, I, I quite like a if I if I was going to give out a coding challenge, I think I would, especially if I was looking for like a junior dev, I'd probably give them some time on on their own to go off and and do that task oh yeah that would be that would be a good idea yeah rather than putting them under pressure yeah so i think i don't i don't i will i don't want to take up your entire your entire evening oh i'm enjoying myself (laughs) i like talking about coding yeah it has been fun perhaps i'll have to have you back on for another episode at some point yeah yeah before we go i just um you know aside from coding what do you like to do in your spare time to kind of switch off from work um i like to game i'm a gamer so i like to play some football manager at the minute (laughs) that's my that's my um my pastime i must have hundreds of hours on football manager um i also have a couple of dogs so i walk the dogs uh especially during because i'm working from home most days um it's nice to just go and have a think about things while i'm walking them in the park Mm. or something um it can take your mind can take your mind off coding but it can also solve a problem that you're always thinking about it's surprising how often that happens that you'll yeah, like exactly you'll be banging your head against a brick wall trying to solve a problem and then you'll find the solution staring at a screen as well you'll you'll be staring at a screen like i just do not understand this you just go away for like 10 minutes and you're like oh yeah that makes sense now. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's yeah, crazy so weird. yeah we've got a little um with it Aww. So we take her out. She gets a walk twice a day. So it's nice to have to take that time. 
Yeah. Okay, well, let's call it a day there. And really nice talking to you. I hope we can perhaps fit in another another episode at some future point. Yeah, that'll be really good. I'll look forward to it. (laughs) 